Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we dive into today's show, I would like to take a moment to let you know that you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, then don't be afraid to subscribe. And if you really like the show, then make sure to leave a review. But most importantly, make sure to spread the word. With that being said, let's dive right in. Hello, everybody. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast. I'm your host today, James Donahue, as I am for every show, but you know that already. And if you don't know that, hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. Folks, we are now listening to episode 45 of the Say Hey Podcast. I still can't believe that we are making episodes, but I vowed to myself, I told myself before I made this podcast, if you're making episodes and people are listening, then you're still going to keep making episodes. And you guys keep listening, so that means I have to still keep making episodes, which is great, especially on a day like today. And my, oh my, what a time it is to be a Giants fan because not only have they just swept the Rockies, see you later, the Giants have also won five of their last six games and are sitting nicely with a 6-3 and three record on the year. And the only other teams in the league who have a better record than them right now are the Dodgers and the Padres. And they, of course, can eat a duck. I don't care about them. But truly, at the end of the day, what are you going to do? Those teams are really, really good at baseball. Folks, for today's show, along with briefly recapping the Colorado series, I'm also going to be giving you some need-to-know stats about the Giants, and then I'm going to finish it off by previewing the next series against the Reds. So if all that sounds good, be sure to stick around for the entire episode to be as informed and up-to-date as possible. All right, here we go. Let's go ahead and dive right into the recap of the entertaining and amazing series against the Colorado Rockies. Starting with Game 1, there's not much else to say other than Johnny Cueto was simply masterful. He was immaculate. He did such a great job. And I actually wanted to take this time to say thank you to Gabe Kapler for not only letting him go for so long into the ninth inning, but also giving him one last chance for the complete game. Those are the types of moves that we as fans need to acknowledge from Kapler. I can't help but feel like Kapler kept Cueto in for us as fans. Cueto did his job for the entire game. He didn't need to stay in the game, but instead, Kapler decided to keep Cueto in there in order to continue an unforgettable outing at home when Giants fans were allowed back in the ballpark for the first time in over a year. Cueto finished his day pitching 8.2 innings, only surrendering four hits, one earned run, which came in the ninth, so that I'm not really counting that, and he also collected seven strikeouts, but no walks as well. The changeup and the shimmies were some of the best I've ever seen from Cueto since 2017. He finished the day with 118 pitches, wow, which to me is an indication that he's completely healthy. There is no way in hell he would be able to do this if there were any lingering injuries that were bothering him. I'm not saying Cueto is going to reach 100 pitches every time he steps on the mound this year. All I'm saying is that we can expect healthy starts from him from here on out. All right, well done, Cueto. Moving on to the offense of this game. 
Now, it seems as though I was wrong again about an opposing pitcher because Austin Gomber completely shut down the Giants' bats for six innings. Something I remembered during this game is that Gomber was actually one of the key players the Rockies received in return for trading Nolan Arenado to the Cardinals, which probably means we as Giants fans can expect him to pitch in the starting rotation for the Rockies for years to come. But nonetheless, even though Gomber pitched a great game, the Giants were still able to give Cueto enough run support, most notably from Brandon Crawford's double when the bases were loaded. And after that, the Giants loaded the bases up two more times throughout the rest of the game, and Alex Dickerson even hit an RBI single during one of those times. The last thing I'll say about this game is that Buster Posey finished the day going 2-for-3 and also managed to boost his batting average to 333. You love to see it from the captain. Moving on to the relief pitching of this game, and as I just mentioned, Johnny Cueto pitched 8.2 innings, so there wasn't much work to be done for Jake McGee. Nonetheless, though, he came into the ninth inning with two outs already, and he made quick work of Sam Hilliard when he struck him out on three pitches to end the game and record his third save of the season. Moving on to game two of this series, starting with Logan Webb. It was comforting to see Webb walk away from Saturday's outing with six strikeouts and five innings pitched. However, he still managed to surrender three earned runs again, including giving up a two-run homer from Ryan McMahon. As a whole, Webb's start consisted of many ups and downs. At times, he was displaying pinpoint accuracy with his pitches, but at other times, you couldn't pay him to find the zone. At this time, Logan Webb has two official starts on the season. For me personally, if he doesn't start to figure some things out by the end of his fourth start, then I'm going to start to worry. Because in Webb's defense, he's still getting strikeouts and suppressing a lot of hard contact, which usually means positive results follow after that. So again, I understand if you're willing to jump ship at this point with Logan Webb, but me personally, not yet. I'm definitely still holding out hope for the young 24-year-old right-hander. Moving on to the offense of this game, it wasn't as explosive as I was expecting, but there is still plenty of damage done by the Giants hitters. Tommy Lastella, who I'm now calling Tommy Barrels, finished the day going 2-for-3 and a walk in the leadoff spot. Yaz continued his slump after going 0-for-3, but Dickerson was able to score Lastella from second for the first run of the ball game on an RBI single. Then, Brandon Crawford, after hitting an RBI double with the bases loaded the game before, stepped up again this game and absolutely crushed a three-run bomb. And luckily for the Giants, that was the only offense necessary to hold off the Rockies and win Game 2. The relief pitching in this game, since Webb only went five innings, had a lot of work cut out for them. But surprisingly enough, they did not disappoint. Caleb Berger, Reyes Maranta, Tyler Rogers, and Jake McGee, again, we love that guy, all pitched for a combined total of four innings and only surrendered a hit and a walk. McGee came into the game in the ninth inning and was able to close it out for his fourth save of the year. Now here's a quick stat that you might want to know. Jake McGee, at this point in time, is currently ranked second in the entire league in saves. Mark Melanson leads the league in saves with five, but Jake McGee has four. And just a quick reminder, the Giants signed McGee this offseason to a three-year contract with a third-year team option. So technically, the Giants have control of McGee for the next three years, which is amazing. And in Game 3, which was the final game of this series, Anthony Descofani did not disappoint yet again. He finished his outing going six innings pitched, only giving up six hits and only one walk, but he struck out eight and did not surrender any runs. 
The thing about Descafani is that since he gets a lot of strikeouts, that also means he racks up a lot of pitches. He reached 50 pitches in the third inning and 90 pitches in the sixth inning. I love that he gets the strikeouts, but that also means he'll be more prone to drive up that pitch count. But my goodness, it's fun to watch him throw his 95 to 96 mile per hour two-seam fastball that completely debilitates opposing hitters. We love Anthony Descalfani. Moving on to the offense of this game, Alex Dickerson continued to smack the shit out of the ball against the Colorado Rockies after he launched a solo shot to deep right center field in the first inning. And after a walk and a stolen base from Belt, which was his first stolen base since 2019, Longoria continued his adventure of being the Giants' most consistent hitter by knocking Belt in with an RBI single. Belt also decided he wanted to join in on the fun when he hit a solo shot of his own to make the Giants lead 3-0, and Crawford followed that up with another one of his many doubles he'll hit this year. In his first official Major League game with the Giants, Lamont Wade Jr., I know we haven't heard that name in a hot minute, went 2-for-2 two two with a single and a double right after that. So overall, not only was it a fun game from the starting pitching aspect, it was also another fun game from the offense. Moving on to the relief pitching, and this is actually some news here. Reyes Maranta is officially on the 10-day disabled list with the right flexor strain. And here we go. This is it. This explains the lack of velocity from Maranta, and that's a bit of a blow to a bullpen that was already short on right-handed arms. We'll see what the Giants do in terms of roster moves, but since they were able to put Maranta on the DL, that led to them being able to bring up Lamont Wade Jr. from the taxi squad, and of course, he had a great game offensively. All right, that is going to be all from the Rocky series, at least. And as you can see, not only did they have momentum going into this series after beating the Padres two games out of three, they now have even more momentum heading into this next series at home against the Reds, which they're definitely going to need because this team, the Reds, are an offensive powerhouse. They currently lead the league in home runs, RBIs, batting average, and OPS. Wow, that's a lot to digest there. But you know what? These Bombers by the Bay, that's right, that's a self-proclaimed nickname I'm giving the Giants home run hitters. These Bombers by the Bay have hit a total of 14 home runs on the year so far, which is only two less than the league-leading Reds. So this upcoming series should definitely be a lot of fun. Now, in my opinion, the way the Giants will beat this team is if the starting pitching can continue to suppress hard contact and limit the big hits, including home runs. The Giants pitching staff has produced a combined ERA of 2.70, which is second best in all of baseball. When was the last time we heard that? I have no idea. And the combined ERA from the starting rotation is third best in all of baseball with 2.32 ERA. I don't know if the Giants pitchers got lucky against the Padres, but just like they did during that series, they also can't make any big mistakes against this Reds team. Now, game one of this series is going to feature a matchup between Aaron Sanchez versus Wade Miley. And if we look at the numbers, we can see that historically, this Cincinnati team has not hit well against Aaron Sanchez. They've put up a team batting average of 150 against him. And Nicholas Castellanos, who arguably might be the best hitter in this Reds lineup, has only gone 3 for 14, excuse me, 3 for 15, and has struck out four times. Tyler Naquin, who might possibly be the man on fire right now, has only gone 1 for 4, and Mike Moustakis is 0 for 1. Yes, there isn't a lot of history between this current Reds team and Aaron Sanchez, but it's nice to know that he's found success against one of the best bats in this lineup, Nicholas Castellanos. 
Moving on to the other side of the mound, Wade Miley, a left-handed pitcher, has not done well against this Giants team historically. Yes, it does say that this San Francisco team has only produced a combined batting average of 253, but if we break down the numbers, we can see that Belt has gone 5 for 10 with a triple and a homer. Kirk Casale, 4 for 10. Crawford, 4 for 18 with two doubles. Longoria, 8 for 33 with three doubles and three home runs. My goodness, that is ownage. Buster Posey, 10 for 26 with three doubles and a home run. And Darren Ruff is 2 for 7 with a double and a home run. Now, as we've seen so far this season, whenever there's a lefty on the mound from the opposing team, usually Gabe Kapler stacks the lineup with right-handed bats 1 through 9. But me personally... I want to get Belt going. I want to get him back on track. And the way that we do that is by giving him the most at-bats as possible. Especially since he pretty much didn't have a spring training because he was recovering from not only a heel surgery, he also recovered from mono and COVID. My God, it's a miracle that man is still alive. But with the home run that he hit during yesterday's game, my hope is that he'll start getting the same feel that he had last year during the 2020 season. But of course, we can also see Gabe Kapler start Wilmer Flores at first base just because he's a right-handed hitter. And the last thing I'll say about this matchup is that I would really love Aaron Sanchez. If you're listening, I would really love if we can see an uptick in velocity. 90 to 91 miles per hour with the fastball terrifies me, especially in this day and age of baseball. That's not fast anymore. At this point in time, sometimes that could be a changeup depending on what pitcher you're talking about. I would love to see Sanchez at some point soon start to rack up that velocity, maybe 93, 94, 95. I'm not asking for 98. All I'm asking for is a steady uptick. But on the other hand, opposing hitters right now are having an incredibly tough time, not only hitting the ball hard, but just hitting it out of the infield. So we'll see what happens here. Hopefully Aaron Sanchez can keep the hard contact to a minimal, and hopefully he can keep the hitters off balance. Moving on to game two, this will definitely be the most exciting game because of the pitcher's matchup. We have Kevin Gosman on the mound for the Giants versus the legendary right-handed pitcher for the Reds, Luis Castillo. And just like the Padres, the Reds historically have also hit Kevin Gosman really, really well. As a team, they've produced a batting average of 383. Mike Moustakis has gone 4 for 10 with three doubles a home run. Nicholas Castellanos has gone 4 for 16 with a double and two home runs. And Joey Votto, that's right, he's still playing baseball, has gone 4 for 5 with a home run. But me personally, I have a feeling that Kevin Gosman will be able to get the job done because he has shown no signs of struggling, not only since last year, but this year as well. The key to this game is that Kevin Gosman just continues to do what he's been doing all year. Suppressing hard contact, not giving out free bases, and not allowing any home runs. Now, when it comes to Luis Castillo, he's done extremely well against this Giants team. As a whole, the Giants have only been able to produce a combined team batting average of 119. Yikes. But Wilmer Flores somehow still finds a way. Historically, he has six at-bats against Castillo. He's gotten two hits, including a home run. Buster Posey has gone one for three with a home run. But Brandon Belt has gone 0 for 7, and Crawford has gone 0 for 6. And I have no doubt it's because of the wicked changeup that Luis Castillo has in his arsenal. This by far will be the toughest matchup of the series for the Giants hitters, but that still doesn't mean that it's impossible to find success against an ace like Luis Castillo, as we saw them do against Blake Snell for the Padres. All right, moving on to Game 3. The final matchup is going to be Johnny Cueto versus Tyler Malley. And I personally think there's a lot of hope here for Johnny Cueto to have another successful outing. 
Not only because the team as a whole, the Reds, they've only been able to produce a career batting average of 218, but also it looks like Johnny Cueto has been able to suppress any kind of success from the biggest hitters like Nicholas Castellano. He only has career 10 at bats and has only gone one hit. And Eugenio Suarez, who has full capabilities of hitting 50 home runs every year, has only gone one for eight, but has five strikeouts against Cueto. Mike Moustakis might be the only batter to really worry about. He has the most ownage against Cueto. Career-wise, he's gone four for eight with two doubles and a home run. And Joey Votto, of course, always finds a way to find success against any pitcher. He's gone three for ten with a home run. But me personally, I'm not that scared anymore. Thank God. I'm not scared when Johnny Cueto steps on the mound anymore because even when he struggled a little bit, against the Seattle Mariners for his first start of the season, he still found a way to keep those hitters off balance and collect seven strikeouts. And of course, we don't need to talk about the start against the Rockies anymore. He was completely dialed in. So I'm optimistic about this start. Even though Tyler Malley is a young, promising pitcher for the Reds, I still have hope that Johnny Cueto will be able to continue to keep hitters off balance. Like I just mentioned, Tyler Malley will be on the mound for the Reds. He's a right-handed pitcher, and if you all remember, I actually talked about him being a possible trade target earlier in one of the episodes during this offseason, and the reason being is because he gets a lot of strikeouts. We might see that here, but if I'm looking at the numbers, honestly, I'm pretty optimistic. As a whole, this San Francisco team has produced a combined batting average of 478. Brandon Belt, 2-for-2 two two with two home runs. Wow. Crawford, 2-for-4 with a double. Wilmer Flores, 1-for-3 with a double. And Tommy LaStella, 1-for-3 with a home run. This will be the game for the left-handed bats. Tyler Malley has the ability to get a lot of strikeouts, but the left-handed bats in the Giants lineup have a way of finding success against right-handed pitchers, which is going to be the key to this game. And of course, another key to the game is not letting the relief pitching go to complete shit. That's right, I just swore again. All right, everybody, that is going to be all for today's episode of the Say Hey Podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying Giants baseball because I know I am. And folks, you can find the Say Hey Podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. You can also leave a rating and a review if you feel so inclined on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much, like always, for the continued love and support of the show. And folks, just a minor but quick update. My posting schedule. You all know I'm going to be posting two times a week now, in season, but... I think I'm going to be posting on Mondays and Thursdays, just a heads up. And the only reason why I'm saying this is because throughout the entire offseason, I posted on Tuesdays. I have no idea why it was just a day that I chose. However, now it just makes more sense to post on Mondays and Thursdays because those are usually the days of the weeks the Giants start a new series, Mondays and Thursdays. So with that being said, be on the lookout for episodes, new episodes every Monday and Thursday. Thanks again, everybody. Continue to stay safe out there. Continue to be smart. But most importantly, go Giants.